0: You may be seated. Once again, uh, welcome to church. Uh, We are so glad that you're here with us today. Excited to be able to worship together. Uh, Let's be honest, just for a second, as they get this in place, how many of you were mad at me at first because I moved where your seat is? Anybody? Good. That was the goal. I was actually hoping more of you would be a little mad at me. Uh, I find that as soon as you start saying, "Well, that's my seat," I'm going to move it on you and uh, make sure you're on your toes and happy with your new seat. And uh, I'm excited about the opportunity you get to sit closer to somebody, right? And uh, be able to share together in worship in that way. Well, hey, listen, again, if you're a guest, I I went quickly earlier, but I do want to say we are honored to have you. And uh, there is a table outside that we call The Hub. And we would love to meet you there after the service and answer any questions that you might have. But around here, um, we obviously love to just focus our attention in worship, but then there comes a point in our service where we just take a time out and we say, okay, Lord, now you speak to us. And we believe in biblical preaching and we believe that it is vital to the, to the life of our church. And so I hope that you came expecting God to speak to you and uh, to your need from his word. And so grab your copy of the Bible if you would and let's open up to Matthew chapter one and uh, find your place. If you don't have a copy, um, I don't have copies for you yet, but we will, Uh, but you can find in a a tablet or a phone, or I'm sure uh, you can just take the Bible from somebody next to you, and uh, that is okay. You can mug them, steal it from them, whatever you need to do. Those are all physical assault accusations that are justifiable in church, and so as long as it's for the Bible so that you can follow along appropriately um, but again, if you, need, uh, if you need on your tablet, you can find Matthew chapter 1 as well. And again, let me uh, just say how excited I am for the Christmas season. Let's do this before we read. Let's just be honest for a second. How many of you have your Christmas shopping completely done? Let's see some hands. Completely done. Oh my goodness. Some of you are overachievers. Now let's go to the other side. How many of you have not even started? About an equal amount. How many of you are just like, I'm not shopping, I'm done with Christmas all together? Let's raise a couple hands. Justin raised his hand, so sorry, Morgan. Uh, you're not getting a gift today, or this week, or this season. So, hey, listen, Christmas is an incredible time for family. It's an incredible time for gifts. It's an incredible time for all of those things. But one of my favorite things about being a part of a Uh, A church family is that Christmas gives us a time to gather and worship and study the word and grow together in our walk with him. And so in Matthew chapter 1, that is uh, where our attention is going to be. And so I want you to follow with me uh, as I read verse 18 through verse 25 of Matthew 1. Now, I totally understand that you've probably read this a thousand times because that's the nature of the Christmas season. That's the nature of the study of, obviously, the Christmas story. But in Matthew chapter 1, I'm hoping that you might be able to see a different uh, light here or uh, see it through a different perspective as we consider the topic that we're starting today called Missing Christmas. So let me show you what we're saying, and then we'll get into unpacking what that looks like. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this wise... When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Now, if I asked you to tell me the first few things that come to your mind when I say Christmas, what is it? I, I don't shout it out, but just think through that. What, when we say Christmas, Christmas is upon us. What are you thinking about? For some of you, it might be Jesus, incarnation. Those of you that are spiritual, right? You're thinking, oh yeah, that's Jesus. That's incarnation. Uh, That's Jesus taking on flesh to die for my sins. Uh, And that might be some of you. But not too far down the list, you would probably start thinking about things like presence, debt, overdrafted bank accounts, unbelievably Long lines at Target, people who can't drive, Christmas trees, decorations, Christmas lights, right? Like like you get your anxiety up like I do. I had a guy call me out the other day. He was trying to teach his son a lesson. He said, hey, I decorated my house. What did you decorate your house like? And I'm like, I didn't decorate my house. And he said, see, son, you could have him as a father. I'm like, whoa, man. I'm not the Grinch here. But that's what I think about. For those not maybe uh, in church or maybe some of you, Christmas brings up things like lost loved ones that you don't get to share the season with. Maybe it's things that you don't have or things that you can't buy. In all of that, no doubt you begin to feel a level of stress, a level of worry, a level of disappointment. And if you're not careful, if you're not careful, the, the commercialization of Christmas... The stresses of life can literally get you to the point where you will miss the entire celebration of what it is that we are gathering for. And when I read Matthew chapter one, I don't know if you picked up on the reality of this, but Joseph probably could have easily fallen in to the mindset of shame or disappointment or worry or frustration. And he could have said, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not doing it. And in doing so, could have missed Christmas. But in spite of that pressure and disappointment that we're going to really kind of unpack in just a second, he came full circle. And he said, let's do this. Notice that with me, if you would, there in Matthew 1. So so he's dating a girl, right? He's betrothed. They're engaged. It's his girlfriend. So So... He's dating this girl, it's his girlfriend, and she's pregnant, and he knows it's not his. Like, talk about scandal, right? Like, immediately, what is my first response? Well, get rid of her, right? She's been unfaithful. She's sleeping around on me. No way. And the Bible says that he felt that there in, in the passage in verse number 19 when he said he resolved to divorce her. I'm, basically, I'm calling this thing off, I'm done. And yet, if you jump ahead just a couple of verses to verse 24, it says that he took her to be his wife. So, so something changed, right? I, I'm done. I'm not putting up with this woman. She slept around. She's unfaithful. Come on, man. I've tried to provide for her. I tried to take care of her. And now she's pregnant, and it's not mine. And then he says, just a nap later. All right, let's do this right? Like, naps do wonders for men, ladies. I just want you to know that. Changed his whole perspective of life. But something happened in that nap that changed everything, and here's what it was. And this is the big idea. The reality of the birth of Christ offers a hope that changes everything. And that's what happened to Joseph, I'm done, but then the angel barges into his nap, and dreams come alive, and he makes some enormous declarations about what the season is, and here's what I want you to know, is that in the declarations that the angel makes in this dream to Joseph that gave him hope that changed everything, it said a lot, not only about Jesus, it said a lot about God, And so in this day, in this season, as Christmas is two weeks away, collective gasp, we can't believe it's that close, right? As we're getting to that point, we're stressing out because the the fudge isn't made yet, the presents aren't bought yet, and we're worried about how this family event's going to go. I want you just to take a breath and settle into the reality that there is something bigger going on in Christmas that offers you hope that changes everything. And those three keys that I'm going to share with you from the passage... Are keys that we must understand about the birth of Christ to find the hope that changes everything. Now, let's follow along. So, again, three key truths about the birth of Christ that gives us that hope that changes everything. Number one, these are three things I need to recognize if I'm gonna find that hope. You ready? Number one, I need to recognize that his birth is a miraculous event a miraculous event. Like, like you're like, yeah, 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 I know that. But no, capture that in verse 20. And let's really squeeze that just for a second because the angel barges into his nap and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife because the, the, the thing that you think is scandalous, the thing that you think is her sleeping around, the fact that you think she's not being faithful, that's actually conceived in her from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, I know that you're about to lose all hope, basically. Joseph, I know that you're about to to slam her and put her away and all of that, but I want you to know your wife isn't sleeping around on you. You are at risk of missing something enormous because what's happening in her is a miracle that's taking place right before your eyes. It's miraculous she's still a virgin. Mary said it best in Luke chapter 1, when the angel told her, you're, you're gonna be pregnant, you're pregnant with a child. And she said, how shall this be since I'm a virgin? Like, look, Dr. Luke was writing that and Dr. Luke did his research. If you read Luke chapter one, you know he studied this out. And he tried to get all of his events ac- correct. And over the course of the last 20 centuries, a lot of medical advancements have taken place. But even back then they knew virgins don't have babies. This was a legitimate miracle. And so, this was huge, and this was significant. The virgin birth really is everything uh, that Christmas uh, uh, swings upon. It's, it's, it's the, the foundation upon which we celebrate. It shows that Jesus is supernatural. I mean, he had a supernatural birth, and he has a supernatural uh, resurrection and ascension, and it's just the two bookends of his life, right? This is an amazing person. This is more than just a good teacher, this is more than just a future superstar. This is something special. He was born in a miraculous way. It shows that his humanity uh, that we live in needs a savior that it, we can't bring about ourselves, Because God had to miraculously bring him into this world and we couldn't do it ourselves. And it shows that God showed the initiative to send to us a savior miraculously into this world for our sins. You say, well, why does that bring hope? Why, why, does, that, why does that bring hope? Because here's, here's really where the, 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 the application might come from that. Do you ever fall victim to being caught up in the distraction of the season so much so that you almost forget that it is actually a celebration of his miraculous birth? Do, do you ever almost literally have to pinch yourself and say, whoa, 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 wait a second. Christmas is not made up of the plethora of gifts under my Christmas tree. Christmas is not a celebration of how much I can go into debt. Christmas isn't about buying Lexuses with big red bows on top. Christmas is about a miraculous birth of a Savior who came into this world in perfection for our sins. And that's why we celebrate, right? Right? Now that gives me hope. Why does that give me hope? Because it tells me and reminds me, my God is powerful. My God is powerful. And and so when life overwhelms me, whether it's the season of Christmas or not, when life can just seem to Uh, A shower upon me with frustrations and difficulties and discouragements, I can sit back and I can say, look, no matter how bad this gets, I know he's powerful, he's in control, he's strong, he's my defender, he's overcome. And that's what Joseph found is, wow, you did that? Like, whoa, wait a second, wait a second, you're telling me my wife's been faithful, but this is actually something that you did? Wow, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. We're gonna go, let's go. You want me to marry her? I'll marry her, why? Because you're a powerful God and I serve you. That's what Christmas is about, right? I don't miss it, don't miss it. Don't miss the implications of why the virgin birth is so important for us. God chose to make the coming of his eternal son, his anointed one with this extraordinary birth. I love it. Now, I want you to go to John 1 for me with, for just a second, if you would. John chapter 1. And I just want you to see the, the, the miraculous reality of what's taking place in the incarnation of Jesus. Just, just, just let this sink in for a second, and let's, let's just enjoy this. So the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. Verse two, he says that he, the word was in the beginning. Verse three says that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So, so we're talking about the word is something special, right? It's something powerful. It's something sovereign. And you jump down to verse 14 and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so God, the Word in heaven from eternity, comes into this earth, full of grace and truth, and brings with him, according to verse sixteen of that same passage, grace upon grace. So, when we celebrate the res- uh, I'm sorry, the birth of Jesus. We're not just celebrating a birthday. We're not just celebrating a really good man who lived in the old days. It's not just kind of like Martin Luther King day. This is different. This is the word becoming flesh and bringing with him grace and truth and grace upon grace. This is miraculous and it declares, it screams, it is explicit, God is powerful. Find hope in that. That's what we find, right? Okay, number two. If I'm gonna find this hope that Christmas brings or the birth of Christ brings, then I'm not only gonna to need to recognize uh, that it is a miraculous birth, but I'm gonna to have to recognize a second thing, and that's this His purpose is a redemptive work. His purpose is a redemptive work. Verse 21, here's what He says, Matthew chapter 1. He says, Look, it's conceived of the Holy Spirit, it's miraculous, Joseph. I'm at work. I'm powerful, trust me, I've got this. And number two, uh, secondly, it is a redemptive work. Verse 21 She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which, mean, which means the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. I love this, don't miss it. Jesus, I know you are losing hope in the season. Hey, Jesus. Um, your, your wife is about to have a miracle baby and you're going to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, Jehovah saves, and don't give up on her because if you do, you're going to miss Christmas. (laughs) You're going to name him this because his purpose is going to be to save his people from their sins. When you had children, did you like I did when they were just born? I remember, especially Adrian, for some reason, I guess, I guess maybe I didn't care what the girls would become, but I, I looked at Adrian and I'm like, what's this boy gonna be when he grows up? You ever think about that? Like, like, he's like two weeks old. What's he gonna be when he's 30, when he's 40? What kind of man is this kid gonna be? That's a sobering thought because a lot of that is as a, as a, a result of my parenting, I guess. But I think about that in regards to Joseph. Joseph was his earthly father, we know that, and he's holding baby Jesus in his hands and he already knew what was going to become of this baby. What was he going to do? wasn't that he was going to be a great teacher. He was. It wasn't that he was going to start a new religion. It wasn't that he was going to be a great civil rights activist or a social justice kind of guy. It was this. He is going to be a savior. He is going to change lives. That's what you've got here. Now, I want you to look at a couple of verses with me, if you would. Go to John chapter 3 and and consider what is said here about Jesus and why he came into the world. And so when you read these verses, you're understanding Joseph would wrap his mind around these things. Joseph would have to come to the realization that there's something bigger at work here. There's something happening here that's bigger, that's more important. And so John chapter 3 verse 17, he said it this way. We know verse six, 16 well, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then here it is, verse 17, you ready? For God did not send his son into the world. Joseph, birth of Mary, miraculous birth, right? He didn't send his son into the world uh, to condemn the world, but here's why he did all of that. But in order that the world might be saved through So the reality is this, what we're celebrating today is is not the birth of a great man or the birth of a great leader. We are celebrating the one who came into the world to save me from my sin, from my hopelessness, from my destination of hell, from my judgment, and give me new hope. That's what we celebrate. And then jump another place with me, if you would, right quick, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And verse four and five. I love it. Galatians four, four and five is just a support text that comes right alongside of this and says, yes, this is what we're celebrating. This is why we're here. This is the big deal, right? Galatians chapter four, verse four. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Like, don't miss it. Paul is saying, why did Jesus come? So that he would redeem us to himself that we might become sons of God. Beautiful. So he sends us a savior in the person of Jesus Christ because our greatest need was to be saved from our sin. And I want you to see one more passage that I'm just gonna love. This is all about worship right here. And that's Colossians chapter one. We're just gonna stop and let's just, let's just drop our chins in awe of what's taking place as we celebrate. Let's not get mixed up in the hustle and the commercialization of it all. Let's just stop and realize that this is a season of celebrating a savior and Colossians chapter 1 speaks to that. It says this, listen to verse 15. He, this is talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Like, like theological depth there. The image of God on earth in flesh, firstborn of all creation, for by him. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. That's Jesus. Now now understand what he's saying there, right? There's a little baby born in a barn, laid in a horse feeding trough, who is the image of the invisible sovereign, mighty God. This baby boy is the creator of all things and the reason why all things exist. That's what we celebrate. Then we go to verse 19. For in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And get this, verse 20, this is going to blow your mind. Ready? Ready for your mind to be blown. Through him. Through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the incarnation wrapped up in that, the fullness of God in him, so that the fullness of God in flesh would die on a cross and his blood would be shed to reconcile People like you and me who are not good people, who are not moral people, who don't naturally seek after him. People who've defied God. He says, I am God. I'm going to go get them and save them. And that's what we celebrate, right? Now, now, here's the question. Have you become so involved in the pressures of the season that you've almost lost sight of the reality that this season is the celebration of the one who saved you from your sin. I feel like we have. And I feel like almost the reality of what I'm saying, we're so used to it if we're church people that it's like, okay, yeah, virgin birth. Okay, great. God in the flesh. Yeah, amen. So, oh, amen right here. Yep, yeah, that's good. But I'm just saying, just pause, right? Let's just, 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 let's just really meditate on the reality that this was not a normal baby, This was different, and and this wasn't just a normal life. This was different. God was at work through this child. Every hope of salvation, every hope of eternal life, every hope of forgiveness of sin is because of that baby laying in the feeding trough in a barn in Bethlehem. This is why we follow him, right? This is why we celebrate his birth, we don't celebrate him because he's trendy. We don't celebrate him because he's taught well. We don't celebrate him because he had great orators and, or, or, or great speeches for civil rights and making sure you take care of, of women at the well. That wasn't why we follow him. We follow him and celebrate him and worship him because he is the savior of the world. And when we forget that, we miss Christmas. And because of Jesus, the most hopeless situations in this life Don't win. And and, and I love what Hebrews says. And and you just just keep this in your mind. I'm going to just make a reference to it. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope. And that hope, we know, according to this, is tied to Jesus an anchor for your soul. It keeps you grounded, it keeps you fixed. It keeps you from wavering. It keeps you from getting caught up in the worries and the struggles and the frustrations and the bitterness of life because you are settled in the reality that you are serving a savior and he is your hope. And so we find hope. Okay, so here's the question, a question for you. How easy is it for you in the difficulty of the situation you are in to lose sight of the reality that In someone around you, God is working to bring him to salvation. Just think about that. Listen, let's just put ourselves in Joseph's place. He's a young man. He's dating a hot girl. That's what he thought, right? Now she's pregnant. It's not mine. I know it. There's a scandal. Facebook is going to blow up over this one. And so now we've got to figure out what to do. And so what happens is the angel comes to him and says, She is pregnant with the Savior of the world, and Joseph could have gotten all worked up and all been out of shape and said, no way, no way, I'm not doing it. And in that, he could have missed his opportunity to be a tool in the hand of God to work through his earthly son, Jesus, to see millions upon millions of people saved. Just think about it. What if Joseph had gone through with the divorce? What if Joseph ha- had said, we're done? My situation's too difficult, Mary. Mary, do you know what I'm going through here? Do you know what we have to go through when you get pregnant? Ladies, do you know what men go through when you have a baby? It's tough. That's what Joseph was feeling. I took a tour of the hospital the other day where Angela's going to be having the baby, and we're standing in the room, and the nurse giving us the tour says, any questions? And I said, does that TV have ESPN? <laughs> I know, it was bad. It was a joke. It was a joke. I'm just saying, it's tough. We need, some, we need some. And that's what Joseph is thinking. And Mary's thinking, Joseph, you think this is hard on you? I'm the one that's a virgin and pregnant. And Joseph could have missed out on the opportunity to be used in such an amazing way. If he had allowed the circumstances and the perception of his situation to overwhelm him. And friend, that's the reality of your life sometimes too, isn't it? I don't like my boss. Well, maybe God placed you in that job with that bad boss so you could be a light in a dark place. Maybe somebody there needs Jesus and you're the tool he's wanting to use to shine the light in that dark place and bring salvation into somebody's life and you're so caught up in the difficulty of your situation that you're missing out on the fact that God is actively at work. I'm going to give you one illustration of this and we'll move on, but Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching the gospel and they were thrown in prison and while in prison they sang hymns to God and praised him at midnight. Like, there's a couple of weird things about that. First of all, at midnight, I'm sleeping, right? Like, ain't no singing going on in the Reed household at midnight. If there is, somebody's in trouble. And that was going on in the prison. Second of all, it was a prison. Like, we're not talking like cable television, padded beds, and yard time. We're talking rats, dungeons sunk into a hole, and it was there in the Philippian jail that these two guys were singing praises to God. Why? Why? Because they had hope that what they were doing was significant. and Because of that, the prison doors swung open wide. The Philippian jailer realizes they didn't run away. And the jailer says, you guys, are something different about you two. What must I do to get saved? And because the, Paul and Silas did not let their situation rob them of their hope... They were able to be tools in the hand of God to see a man and his whole family come to Jesus in salvation. And I don't know what it is that you're going through, but I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say I'm pretty certain that nobody here has spent last night in a dungeon eaten by rats, waiting in water, and the sewage that would come from the people that were there singing praises to God. I'm sure nobody did that. So often our circumstances become so overwhelming to us that we lose the joy and the hope of what this season really is. And in doing so, we might actually miss the opportunity that our hope would afford us to share Jesus with somebody who desperately needs it. And so the reality of this miraculous birth and this redemptive work of the Savior tells me this, that the Christmas season reminds me God's at work. God's at work, so don't lose hope. And then lastly, I just want to share this with you, and we'll be done quickly, but that's this. I need to recognize if I'm gonna find that kind of hope that changes everything, I need to recognize that his incarnation is a prophetic fulfillment. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is a reference back to Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. (laughs) Hey, Joseph, man, I know that you're about to lose it. And, and, and I almost kind of, I don't know that the angel understood, because he's an angel, he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have all these issues, but I almost get the sense that when we read that and it says, he resolved to divorce her, all of us men are like, yeah, I would too. Like, that was understood, and the angel's like, I know that's where you are, I know that's what you're thinking, I know that's what you're headed toward, but I need you to understand something, that you have a front row seat to witness the fulfillment of century-old Prophecy. Now, why was that significant? Well, because Jesus was the fulfillment of so many prophecies that was miraculous in their own nature. I mean, just the, the, I think there's like 48, somewhere around 48 to 50 prophecies that were in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. And do you realize for one person to by chance fulfill just eight of those prophecies that that person has the probability of one in 10 to the 17th power? Just by accident, fulfilling eight of the 48 plus prophecies he fulfilled, they have one chance in or a chance in one to 10 to the 17th power. Now, I know you're like, wow, that must be a big number, but I have no idea what you're talking about, right? You have no gauge. All right, real quick. The number that is 10 with 17 zeros, so imagine one with 17 zeros following after it, is. What the number in perspective would be if you took that many silver dollars, it would be enough to cover the entire face of Texas two feet deep. So that's a big number, right? So what you're telling me that if one person fulfilled all just eight of those prophecies, he would start walking off in any direction from Dallas and just happen to reach down into two feet deep of silver dollars and pull the one that you marked. And so when this declaration was made to Joseph, Joseph was like, Oh okay, all right, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And so we find in that principle this, that Joseph was being taught and found hope in the reality that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. The promises of God find their yes in him. They're always confirmed in Jesus Christ And guess what that hope brought? It changed everything. My kids have stopped asking me to promise them things because I never do, right? I mean, if you're smart, you never would either, right? Because I don't have the ability to guarantee that those promises are coming true. Now they start saying, ask me something, and instead of saying, I promise, I'll say, I'll pray about it. And then they say, oh man, that means no, (laughs) Like, no, God answers yes sometimes. We'll figure this out. But, but I say that because here's the reality, that if I make a promise, I can't guarantee that I'm gonna fulfill it, but when God makes a promise, he guarantees that he will always fulfill it. And the birth of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus into this world, is the fulfillment of prophecy so that we can say, wow, God, you kept your word. So I find hope in that, amen? I find hope in that. So, so let, let's, let's just tie this all together, ready? The reality of the birth of Christ offers a hope that changes everything because the reality of his birth is a fulfillment of prophecy. You see, I find hope today in the present because of how the promises he kept yesterday in the past, they assure me that he will fulfill his promises tomorrow in the future. Let me say that again because this is significant. I find hope today because of how the promises that he kept yesterday Assure me that he will fulfill his promises tomorrow. So I have hope. And the birth of Jesus confirms that. And so we celebrate that. So the reality of the birth of Christ offers a hope that changes everything. So Christmas shows me that God is a God capable of incredible miracles. That he is a God who is gracious and willing to save. That he is a God who keeps his promises and that's why I find hope. So, so, so in the midst of whatever it is that I'm going through, listen, I wanna, I wanna be very sensitive to this right here. I know that some of you are going through difficult times and I pray with you, I cry with you, and I mourn with you because I recognize that the loss of a loved one or the struggle financially that you're going through or the pressures of your job or just the frustrations of whatever it is that you're fighting, even if it's as simple as driving down Ellsworth in a few minutes, I sympathize with that. But I know this, that in the midst of whatever it is, no matter how bad it is, that the Christmas story reminds me that God is powerful and he works miracles. So I find hope. The Christmas story reminds me that God is actively working through me and my situation so that I can be an instrument, whether my situation is good or bad, for him in maybe bringing somebody to salvation. And I have a savior. And I find hope because God has... Made some significant promises that if it was anybody else, I'd question whether or not he could fulfill them. But because it's him, I'm confident that he will. Can you imagine what Joseph would have missed if he had lost all hope and was unable to do it? imagine, just imagine. I get it. You're like, well, that wouldn't happen. Joseph, God was ma- Joseph's man, or Joseph was God's man, and. I get it, but let's just use our imagination for a second because let's just say Joseph didn't have a good dream. He had a nightmare and he didn't have a great nap and he woke up even more convinced that he needed to divorce this woman. Just think about all of what he would have missed. He would have missed the opportunity to see God do something amazing. He would have missed the opportunity to be a tool to see people saved. He would have missed the opportunity to be an active involvement in the fulfilling of prophecy man what a what a shame that would have been what a shame it would be in your story whatever your story is that if you bail out if you lose hope if you give up if you quit on the church or you quit on following god or you quit on sacrificing or moving forward if you quit on that think about what you might miss out on god is powerful he's working there god is sending a savior and he might be using you as a tool God is fulfilling a prophecy and you get to be active in that. Don't miss it. And so I'm going to give you four statements that I just want you to to learn from and apply to life. And here's what they are. Write these down if you if you're in the habit of writing things down. Are you willing to let these truths overcome your hopelessness? Your difficulties, your disappointments, your frustrations are prevalent in this life and they are especially noticeable during this season. Are you going to fold your arms, stiffen your lip, stiffen your neck and say, I'd rather be angry, bitter, and frustrated? Or are you going to nestle into the reality that Christmas is something big, that Jesus shows me, the birth of Jesus here shows me that God is powerful, that God is active, and that God is faithful, and in that I'm going to find hope. And by that, I'm going to make a decision that he wants me to make. So are you willing to let these truths overcome your hopelessness? Number two, what promises of God do you need to discover and own for the health of your soul? Like, what are some promises? If God is faithful, if God never breaks a promise, hey, people, let's do this. Let's just just become people of the promises. Let's just open this Bible and say, I need to claim some promises today. I'm worried, I need to claim some promises. I'm frustrated, I need to claim some promises. I'm confused, I need to claim some promises. And let's just settle up into those promises and love them and know that these aren't just empty promises. They're not just superfluous promises, but these are promises backed by a powerful God who keeps them and find that hope in it. And, and third, what, what is God calling you to do that you need to simply obey him in? Let's just be honest. What is it? What is it that you're struggling with? What is it that you're battling? Should I do it? Should I not? Should I go? Should I not? Should I give? Should I not? Should I stay? Should I not? What what, what am I supposed to do here? And, And you're fighting with that because you're not sure that the situation is what you think it should be. And you're losing hope in that situation. And the frustrations of that situation are overwhelming you. But you know God is putting you back into that spot. So here's what I say. Make up the mind like Joseph did. Go take a nap, wake up, and go follow Jesus. That's what he did. Let's make that decision, huh? After a good lunch, Sunday afternoon naps are amazing, so now's a good day to do that. And then let me say this, and this is number four. What big thing that God is doing are you about to miss out on because you gave up too soon? Isn't that crazy? What big thing? is God doing that you actually might miss because you lost hope and gave up too soon? What if Paul and Silas had, instead of singing, started cussing, started complaining, started moaning and groaning? I'm pretty sure the jailer wouldn't have been like, hey, whatever Jesus you're serving, that's what I want. No, they saw the best in the situation, they followed the Lord and God was able to do something big because with them and through them, and they were able to witness it because they didn't give up too soon. That's what I learned from Christmas. So the big idea is this. The reality of the birth of Christ, understanding and recognizing just a few simple truths about what Christ is and who he is, offers a hope that changes everything. Find hope today, people. Let's do it. Don't miss it. That's what we're celebrating. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for giving us hope, not as defined by the dictionary or as is defined by our hope sows, but the hope that is defined by a confident expectation. And I know so. A recognition that you're at work and you're doing something great. Father, help us in the midst of all of the stresses and all of the worries and all of the pressures of this season not to lose sight of what it actually is that we are celebrating. That we are celebrating a miraculous birth. That we are celebrating a redemptive work. That we are celebrating a prophetic fulfillment. There is something bigger going on here than than just the Santa Claus or the Christmas tree or the decorations. And we get to enjoy it and be a part of it. And I pray that the recognition of those things wells up in us a sense of true hope so that we get up and we say, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Confident. Willingness to follow. Willingness to obey. Excited about the big things that you're doing that we get to be a part of. Father, we ask that, I ask, that that would be the reality of the response from the passage today here amongst your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing together.